What's up, guys? Mitch Pelka here, back with a new video. Kind of a different scene, starting a new series on my channel called Pelk Talk. Interviewing big names. First guy, Jules Henningberg. What's up, Jules? What's up, homie? How you doing? Good. How you feeling today? I'm good, man. I'm out in Washington State right now. Beautiful day out here. I'm just hanging out, getting some work done, getting to get a workout in later. There we go. There we go. I, uh, I was, I was uh, thinking about doing a series, and your name came to mind, and just all your videos with RJ and, and Katie, you know, you're, you're a special dude. And, and uh, a lot of people say that about you. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. Yeah. You know, I can remember first hearing about your name, um, obviously at Rutgers, but it was when RJ and you did a TLN top five. Uh, and then when he texted me to do a top five, I went straight to your video first and watched it. And uh, I mean, how much energy does that guy have? I mean, <laughs> that guy's energy is off the wall. I swear to God, that guy never stops. Yeah, it's uh, it's different, definitely. Um, you got to get used to it. I think a lot of the guys in the league now who are not close with him are kind of like, whoa. And then you kind of just see it's like, oh, that's RJ. You got to expect that every time he's around. He's going to come at you with that that high energy. It's 100 out of 100 all the time, um, which is fun, though. It, it brings up everyone's vibes. It brings good energy out of you. So it's fun to work with him. Yeah, I mean, is that annoying at all? Like on the field, he's coming to you with the camera and everything? No, I think some, it depends. Guys like don't like me on camera, right? So if he's coming up to you and it's just like, RJ, what's up? He's like, tell me about what just happened, all this stuff. And you're either, sometimes it's not good. Sometimes it's great. But um, I'm like so used to it now that like, I'm ready. Like when I see him coming around, I'm just like, all right, it's time to lock in. Like RJ, he's got the camera. Let's get it going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. Well, let's start from the beginning. Born and raised in Maplewood, New Jersey with a family of eight. Is that right? Um, I have, yeah, eight, so I think, no, five siblings, um, me, younger sister, me, middle brother, sister, brother, brother, mom, dad, yeah, that's eight. Okay. And two adopted brothers, yeah. right? Yeah, two adopted brothers. Okay. What, what, what was that household like? Um, it was, it was chaotic. I didn't, I didn't come from like a lot of money growing up, so we didn't live in like a huge house, but I adopted my two older brothers when I was in second or third grade so they were living in my house um when we were all in the house together so at one point there was all of us in a small house in Maplewood and um it was fun to like you know all of a sudden you have older brothers you don't think too much of it they're just kind of guys that start hanging around and then they're like oh these are my brothers now and then it's just like chaotic and you figure it out but um it's definitely a good learning experience it gave me a lot of uh, perspective on different things um and I'm still close to them today so it was pretty cool that's awesome what, what were your parents like growing up were they were they pretty strict on you or were they, were they easy going um my mom was kind of easy going with things um she you know she just always supported me whatever I wanted to do she was just like yeah like whatever you want I'm I'm, I'm like there if you want to you want to sing and I did chorus in middle school if you want to you know if you want to play basketball whatever like lacrosse whatever you want to do I'll support it my dad was more so like if this is what you want to do like this is what it's going to take and you're not going to you know bullshit me about about it because I'm paying for it and um it's like I know what it takes to get to to be a successful athlete he's um played division one basketball at a, at a high school and um he knew that I, I loved lacrosse and then I expressed that to him you know said by hey I want to go to we used to have the Kanoko and Minoto Big City Classic in MetLife Stadium in New Jersey and said oh I want to go see those games and you know I want to talk about lacrosse and I want to play in college he's like all right well you want to do all these things this is what's going to take um so he'd always hold me to a standard with what I was telling him I wanted to do. And he was like, there's no reason to kind of, you know, fake it with me or, or yourself. He's like, if you want to do it, go do it. 
So um, that was good for that was good for me to kind of establish that early on. I think that's kind of lost with some kids um, with the accountability factor with what they want to achieve when they're young. Um, but I kind of just always had that. So it was it was a good um, a good balance with that with him. Okay, it's kind of like a like a truthful household. Like no one's hiding back anything. No, no, there was no hiding in my house. Everything was up front, very honest about what was going on. Um, and it's different than other households for sure, but it allowed me to mature quicker than I think a lot of my peers um, and put me in position to, to do the things that I wanted to do. And, you know, when I got to school and high school and college, like I would just look around and see guys and how they're acting and things like that. And I was always just kind of ahead of the curve. I felt like on um, just how I perceived some things and what, you know, how my actions were affecting me, um, where I, I thought some other people would kind of just, you know, we're just kind of lollygagging through um, in different different aspects of their lives, but I can never get away with that with my dad. Yeah, that's that's a lot like uh, growing up in an Italian family with my mom. Everything's on the table; like you can't hide anything. If you were doing something wrong, she's yelling at you right then and there. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Growing up was was it always the ultimate goal to play college lacrosse. No, I wanted to play college basketball and go to the NBA. Actually, when I was growing up, so I, I was. Okay. Um, I was, yeah, I was like playing me. AU basketball, <laughs> playing AU basketball growing up. Um, you start getting involved in that and seeing, you know, players start getting ranked when you're in like sixth and seventh grade. So it gets pretty serious pretty quick. So from fourth grade, fifth grade, you start getting involved with AAU and, and rec playing against some good players. Middle school comes around and you start seeing, you know, some of those middle school guys going against older eighth grade players who are ranked going to the big high schools and they're going to be like the number one player in that high school. So it gets real pretty quickly. And I was I was kind of younger um, physically, and I just kind of went to pubulate. So, and I ended up breaking my wrist in eighth grade. So, I kind of just lost my confidence in basketball um, because of those, both those things: my right hand, my shooter hand, ball dominant hand. And um, from there, I kind of had to make a decision: like, was I going to try to overcome, you know, being smaller physically and um, you know not as gifted as a player anymore because of my hand, or was I going to, you know, start to commit to lacrosse more? Um, and I was, you know, honestly, because of those things, I, I felt like I was just kind of falling in love with lacrosse more, um, where I, you know, I was a smart kid, but it didn't stop me from, you know, achieving success in the field. I think that's one of the cool things about our sport is you have guys that are huge and, and are good. You have guys that are really small and, and are quick and, and are good. So I was skinny and small, and then I kind of grew up to be taller. And then, you know, so a lot of things happened, but I was, uh, I definitely made that decision around um seventh eighth grade that I wanted to play in college and started doing those things that that would take me to that level okay so you're six two now did you kind of sprout late yeah so I was um I was skin and bones like I if you saw really? pictures of me like it, it was crazy yes um really skinny I don't know why like just kind of natural I don't know what happened my brother's more of a hefty guy my dad's pretty built six four big guy um I was just growing up late now I'm filling out more now as I get older um but I was always skinny so and I was smaller, so when I hit a growth spurt in eighth, end of eighth grade, going into ninth grade, I shot up like three or four inches. Um, so I was skinny and small, and then I was skinny and tall. And now I was like, all right, now I'm tall. And that's kind of funky, like figuring out how to be good when I'm tall now. Um, and then it was kind of coming into my own with, with that athleticism, um, just kind of figuring that out. Okay. So in, in that in that kind of uh, in that stage, any uh, inspirations you look up to in the lacrosse or I guess basketball world at this point? Um, in terms of, you know, just play, like players I look up to. Yeah. Yeah. When you were younger. Oh, when I was younger. Um, yes, I would always, you know, I was a big college lacrosse fan, excuse me, in middle school. So I, like I said, we'd go to these games at MetLife stadium and I would watch, um, these college lacrosse players play and 
um, two players that I like, you know, grew up like, like idolizing were Rob Pinnell and Steel Stanwyck. I, I yeah. felt like I was like, kind of like a ball carrier in lacrosse. And I was like, well, who are the best ball carriers in the game? And those are kind of the two guys that I was, um, I was seeing all the time, you know, be talked about in the media. And I would try to go watch their YouTube clips and I'd try to figure out how to play and, and do things that they did well. You know, so I'd watch Steel and be like, all right, he's a two-handed player. This makes him so good of his feeding and his two hands. Like, I need to make sure I have that. And then Rob, it was like, he's so good around the cage. Um, finishing the ball obviously at his question mark I was never going to be good at that but um, I was like all right how can I be you know take these things from these guys and try to implement them in my game um, so it was fun to to have those um, kind of people you could look up to there we go you played did you grow up playing travel ball uh travel across yeah no so I didn't start playing in eighth grade I was uh, a bunch of these kids were playing on the team trilogy and it was in uh, New Jersey. They had one in Baltimore, and they had one in Texas, I think. Um, and I was just like, oh, these are all the best players that I know in the, in the state that um, are – because we played for this U13 team um, in New Jersey. They used to go to this festival. I don't know if they still do it, but it was a ton of fun, and I made the team, and I felt like I was good, good player in the state. And I was like, where are all the good players in the state play? And they're all on this team. But then when I joined the team, it was kind of like the year that everyone had left the team. A lot of guys transitioned to this team called Leading Edge. Um, to kind of go get recruited more so that eighth grade going into ninth grade was just kind of like a wash playing on that team um and it, it didn't really it didn't really benefit me and I didn't play club across leading up to it and then ninth grade my dad was like all right you're not gonna play on that team again go play with your brother um you'll play up so I was playing like I, I played up entire my entire career so I'd play with my brother in middle school on his eighth grade team when I was in sixth grade and then when I was um, when he was going into ninth grade, I played on the varsity summer summer rec program. So it was like first okay. year of high school when I was in sixth grade. And then when I got to eighth grade, I'm in ninth grade. He was on the older um, travel team, so I'd play on that team with him and be like a two for one deal with my um, team we were on. Like you get two brothers for one kind of price thing. Okay. And then, so I was playing against older kids. But like that summer when I was going ninth grade into tenth grade was like when the recruiting started. But I wasn't playing on a club team to get recruited because I didn't know. I was just playing to, like, play lacrosse more right, to get yeah. more serious. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting in class that uh, sophomore year, and I'm, like, looking on Twitter. Kids are, like, starting to commit to places and, like, commit to UNC. I t- saw two kids committed there, and I was like, that's where I wanted to go. Like, my dream school, a coach had never even seen me play. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my experience with club. So how did, so how did that uh, recruiting process kind of turn out for you? Uh, so I like initially when I saw that, like all the kids committing, I was like, I missed the boat on recruiting. Like I'm not going to division one now because the coaches saw like all the players they needed to see, but that's not how recruiting works. Like there's always going to be spots available. Um, a lot of schools didn't weren't on top of the early recruiting because they didn't, you know, feel like it was worth it for them. And, um, and I think you kind of see that pan out now in college across now in the past you know, couple of years, how players, um, you know, either switch their commitment so late or they get to college and they transfer or don't pan out. So I think a lot of a lot of schools were hesitant about that for for good reason, and uh, so when I started to get recruited, it was more so the schools that were kind of the second tier schools that were taking their time. They didn't need to fill up the classes right away with those top tier recruits. They didn't feel like they're missing out on you know they didn't get number one to ten. You know they could grab a guy like me, um, perhaps that was you know maybe wasn't didn't get recruited you know was small before whatever the case may be, and still work out well for them. So I started to get recruited. I got recruited by like a lot of the mid major programs and um, kind of like lower end D1. And then um, it kind of came down to Navy. Because um, the big thing for me was the price of school because it was going to be on my shoulders. So it came down to Navy, which would have been free, obviously. And then Rutgers was the in-state tuition was scholarship. 
um, and they wanted me the most. So it kind of worked out well for that, that sense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can remember like when I committed, it's just like you hear all these big names when you commit your freshman year and then like now I get into college, like you wonder where they are and they like some of them aren't even playing. And that's like kind of the risk those college coaches take when they do early recruiting. I'm kind of glad yeah, that the rule changed. I'm very happy the rule changed. I think it helps a lot of players. Um, and it definitely, you know, gives a player like me more of an opportunity to, to potentially pan out and grow physically and, and mature before, you know, some guys are just physically mature in, in ninth grade um, and some guys aren't. So it would give guys like me the chance to, you know, get on the scene and be seen more by those, you know, ACC big 10 schools. Yeah. Yeah. So you start at Columbia high school and then transfer to Seton hall prep. Why the transfer? So I, in my town, there was a huge tradition in lacrosse. Uh, kind of dating back to one of the first, uh, whereas us and Montclair were the first two teams to start lacrosse in the state of New Jersey. So they always had a good lacrosse team in my town. When growing up playing club, you know, it was always talked about, oh, let's get the tradition back to Columbia High School and they're good. Let's do this, let's do that. So I kind of bought into that. I was like, I'm going to Columbia. I'm going to turn the program around. It's going to be awesome. All my friends love lacrosse. We're all, we're all good. We were like so good at middle school, at our rec program. And then in eighth grade, like I saw like it kind of just like teeter off. Like guys you know, stopped caring about lacrosse as much, weren't developing as much. And I was like, I'm still developing. And I'm like, I'm still have this passion. So I was playing up, like I said, and everyone knew who I was in the town and like my skills and like saw what I did versus the older kids when I played with them. So I was like, I'm going to get there in ninth grade. I'm going to start in varsity and we're going to, you know, this is going to be a thing we're going to do. We're going to win a state championship. So I get there in ninth grade after playing that summer with all the older kids, like I said, and that fall in ninth grade in the, fall program starting and doing my thing get come time for tryouts the coach there was a rule that said you can't play varsity as a freshman like you can't even have a tryout so that coach was that a school rule no it was a coach's rule I went to his office and I said listen man like I just want to try out I was like if I don't make the team like fine but I knew I would, I would make the team I've been playing with these guys for three years and they all know like how good I am so it wasn't a matter of making team. It was a matter of, hey, give me a trial so I can prove to you and the entire team in trials that I deserve to be on the team, even though we all know I deserve to be on the team because um, I prove it every time we're playing out there last week together. So um, he said no, and I was just, like, devastated. I, like, broke down crying. I cried the whole day at school that year. Um, I was just like, this has been something I've worked towards for, like, four years since I uh, – five years now, and I can't even get a tryout. So that pissed me off. And then I come back the next year, I obviously make the varsity. I'm starting. I'm like the, me and my other buddy, are the best players on the team. Um, and this guy is just like, just like cursing me out, just like calling me out in games. And I got to the point where I was like, dude, just like, I'm not like, why would I stay here? You're not, you're not doing anything for me. He was hiding recruiting letters from me. So I was like, I'm getting out of here. Like, I'm not going to stay here, put my blood, sweat, and tears in a program that you don't care about as much as I do. And a team where the other players around me aren't on the same wavelength about what I want to do. But, and that's all from your head coach? Yes. Wow. And so then I so then I was like, I'm getting out of here. So I transferred to a prep school um in our area where the coach I was like, Hey, I'm transferring. I was I was like one of the best sophomores in the state. He was like, All right, great. So he's like, God help me get in, um, help me out with it. I built a great relationship with him. He's like a father figure to me. Um, brought me in. I couldn't play for half the season, so I was out thirty days and that's a transfer rule in New Jersey. So when I started playing, we were we were two and eight, um, the team. <laughs> so we were two and eight. And my coach is so funny. I, like at the end of it, um, we and we go on a ten game win streak when I start playing. We beat the number one team in the country, and then uh, which was Del Barn at the time. And then we okay. make the state championship, and then uh, we lose by two in the state championship. 
And then after I like get named the captain at the end of the season, for like the following season, and my coach was like, you know, we were good. Like I always knew we'd be fine. We had plan B in the back pocket the whole time. You know, Jules was coming out because I practiced like all the time with the you team. You like, just couldn't play, right? Couldn't play. So I practiced and like he'd limit my, I get limited reps with like the full game stuff. But I was like watching the team. I was like, all they need is like someone out there kind of orchestrating more. So they had a lot of the weapons, but they didn't have more of a ball carrier. So yeah. then he was like, right, the minute he started playing, like things will be good. And then like we started playing and just kind of, it kind of gave like a kickstart to the team. So it was fun. Um, and it was a great experience for me to, to kind of learn and um, go to a different environment. But I knew that um, I had to get out of that school and, and that there was more out there for me. Yeah. Was that hard to get out of Columbia? Like were all your boys there? Um, yeah, they were. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, and this is something I learned early on, you know, your boys are going to be, you know, the guys that are, they, people that want to see you succeed and, and do things on the level that you're doing. Um, you know, when you start to grow friendships when you're older and get more mature, it's like, you're not going to have people, you're not going to want to have people surround, not going to surround yourself with people that aren't lifting you up and, and challenging you as a person and, and as an athlete. Right. So that was, I, I recognized that young, that that wasn't going on, that I wasn't, you know, I was the one lifting everyone up, but I, I was dragging them with me and I didn't feel like that was good for me. So I needed people to challenge me um, and lift me up and me kind of lift them up as well. And I knew that I'd get that more um, at Seen Hall. And then, you know, same thing in college. It was the same experience and now for pro too. And, and you'll lose friends and, you know, it, it'll, you'll see over time that those are people that you didn't want in your life anyway. So, yeah. And uh, why, why'd you end up picking Seton Hall? It's just because the the price of the school, it, it wasn't um, crazy compared to like a Del Barton. Um, I thought it was a school I could go to and get in academically, um, which I got in by the skin of my teeth, honestly. And then um, I think, you know, it was just the distance as well. It was only 15 minutes from my house. So it was just kind of a lot of factors um, kind of played into it. Okay. You said it was 15 minutes from your house? Yep. Okay. So you said earlier that you coached Trilogy in your high school, like your high school summers. Is that something, is coaching something you want to get into after you're done playing? Um, I didn't coach. I coached, I actually worked at Trilogy in oh, okay. the summer, you know, going my sophomore, uh, my junior year of college, but or senior year of college, but I played for them for that one summer. Um, but so do you ask, this, is coaching something I want to get into? Yeah, after you're done, when you're done playing. Yeah, so I, I coach high school now. Um, I love uh, coaching in general. Um, whether it be you know, at, the, at the youth level, um, training one-on-one -on -one with players in small group or, or at the high school level. I think for college, I, you know, I don't personally want to get involved with it right now. I think it might be different when I'm older if the right position presents itself. And, um, you know, I kind of come, in, come into that, you know, a school like Rutgers, it's something open up there. And I was, you know, financially in a position I could be able to take that job or something like that. But uh, for now, um, I always talked about before, I'm starting the Mission Prime stuff where, it kind of gives me the chance to communicate with seniors who I feel like are mature enough um, and then are going to their college experience where I feel like you really develop as a man. If I can have an influence on that and, and their college experience and what they'll be able to do for the rest of their lives, that's kind of what I want, the niche I wanted to get into. Um, so by starting Missing Prime, it gives me a chance to get my hands on those guys and, and coach them in a way um, without, you know, committing to a full college program and, you know, by all, but also having my, local high school program that I'm coaching yeah okay so in high school uh, committing to Rutgers um, unranked did that ever bother you yeah I used to be super bitter about that I think you know I think part of the reason why I was unranked was because you know I wasn't putting myself out there um, with 
lacrosse and lacrosse what is not a sport that has a ton of resources so it's like the people that are doing the rankings and doing that stuff which is mainly inside lacrosse i think they they do a great job with what they have right i think if you look at a sport like football or basketball there's so much more money in the sport and so naturally more people are going to be covering it and digging to find this stuff out about recruits and guys know where to go to get seen and it's it's just a better oiled machine so i was always bitter thinking that I was getting missed out on looks and this and that of the third because, you know, that they thought I wasn't as good. But I, looking back on it, I, I think it was less about me not being as good and it was more about me, um, you know, just not being seen. I wasn't playing club lacrosse. I didn't play on that summer to get recruited when all those rankings come out. I didn't, so I didn't play at a good prep school um, my sophomore year, so I didn't play at Under Armour to start. Um, I, you know, they choose Under Armour Americans from who plays in the summertime at Under Armour. Like, there's just a lot of, a lot of things that go into it. But I was very bitter about it. And then when I got to college, I was like, like I'm going to make sure that they know and that I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, that. I know how, I good, how, good I, how good I am, um, which is, it's a tough line. You know, you got a teeter being, you know, because bitter is a, that can take you the wrong way pretty quickly. Um, yeah. so you got to teeter, teeter the line of like handling your business and focusing on yourself and, and being bitter about what you don't have. Okay. And you said, I forget, I was watching a couple YouTube videos about you. And you said in high school or college, you didn't, you didn't listen to music pregame you still do that hey, that's that's no, like wild to me wild, i don't know how wild, you don't do that i just never really you know felt like i had my own you know niche in music when i was younger i think when i was in high school like we'd have the, the music we listened to the locker room and that was like fine for me and then in college i didn't like get into like what i what what i felt was inspiring me before i played i kind of just like would do things here and there and then i was like all right i think it's time to start establishing more of a routine and like getting because I, I want to be able to maximize myself on game day every day. The best players that do that have a routine, right? I was just kind of like lollygagging, walking around the locker room, just like seeing whatever, stretch a little bit, whatever it is, roll yeah. out, and then I just go on the field. And then sometimes I play well, sometimes I didn't. Um, so then I started to get into music more when I recognized, you know, what it would, what it could do for me mentally um, and kind of the state that it would get me in before a game. So now I'm, um, I have music that I listen to um, before games. I have my, my AirPods, I have my headphones, um, the stuff that I do. Okay, what's what's the uh, what's the pregame music looking like now? A rap, a little rock, what do we got? Um, I think so. <laughs> it depends. It, it's a uh, senior year. I had a play. My buddy made a playlist for me that was um, a little bit of EDM, a little bit of, like inspiration, okay. music, a little bit, a little bit of rock. Um, <laughs> now I think um, there's a couple songs I listen to from that, but I try to change it up each um, each year because I I think like each year kind of has its own journey with, and the music kind of goes hand in hand with that. So the music I was listening to when I was a senior. I'm kind of leaving that in the past, right? And then yeah. the music I listen to now is like, this is where I'm at now in my life. What I'm listening to, like, this is what's going to help prepare me eventually to focus on the field right now. Um, because music is so transcendent with, with everything, right? So, and, and lacrosse isn't just about what you're doing on the field. There's so much more outside of it. So it's kind of like a culmination of everything in my life that's coming onto the field right now and, and having the music kind of drive that. Um, so, I mean, my favorite artists right now are the baby and Roddy Rich. So, oh, um, yes. Like War yeah, Baby, like yeah. So Ooh, War Baby, yeah, I love like, that. Um, if I got play that, I'm lo I'm locked in now. Like, this You're fired up. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, in high school or college, any pregame superstitions? Uh, not until I was a senior. Really, did I start getting into that? I don't think superstitions, but as much as I like, I, this is what I need to do to like get ready for me to play at my best. Um, like I have to eat this um get this amount of sleep i have to be careful about when i eat in the morning because i have like weird stomach 
like get like bugs. So I don't like um, stomach bugs, like the nerves. So I can't eat before the game at certain hours. Um, but then I'll have no energy if I don't eat. Like I'm skinny, skinny kid. I have no, you know, extra fat reserves lined up. <laughs> so I was like, I got to make sure I get my, get energy in my body at a certain time and then roll out. Um, I have, you know, some stretching, some uh, kind of mobility stuff I do. And then listen to my music. I listen to this like kind of recording that my sports psychologist helped make for me. And then okay. um, other than that, just, um, you know, getting my stick ready, dialed in, making sure it feels good and I'm good to go. There we go. Uh, off topic question. Are you still, are you still driving the, uh, the Sebring, um, <laughs> 2004 convertible? Dude, so, uh, so that thing I brought it, so I had that thing for my, my first car, my dad bought for me, my, uh, in high school and I brought it to college and it was like the biggest piece of car, but it, it worked for five years. Like I, my siblings would get these like kind of cruddy cars. My dad would buy for us, like buy your first car and you figure it out from there. Um, so like, 2000 bucks it had like 190,000 miles and it was a top down though so it's kind of swaggy i know that's and, nice uh, i love that yeah and then we brought it to school and like it got to the point where like guys would, would it was like the last car in the driveway and like guys would drive whatever the last car in the driveway was and i was like jewel was like dude like we almost died again driving the thing and um <laughs> so then i like brought it back home and then i moved out to california and i'm like dad yeah i think it's dead like you could just kill it it's done yeah you can take I, it I, I, I retired it so i'm gonna buy my first real car um soon actually out here there we go all the guys bust on you um yeah but they i had a car so if you need to arrive like you could take the car um, yeah you, yeah. Bust them you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah that's true so you step on ruckers in that fall refresh mirror did you know from the start like this was home uh no i hated ruckers my freshman year i really I hated the the dynamic of our team in terms of like I just thought I cared so much about lacrosse and there was so much more going on than just lacrosse, which is like tough for me to understand. Um, but then you kind of grow up a little bit. And you see that not everyone is um, and not everyone can be as invested as you can be. You know, guys have different roles on the team and guys have different priorities. Um, but I felt like we could work more towards like a common goal on the team. And if we had that going, that we'd be a better team. So I kind of had to like process that as a freshman. Um, I didn't like necessarily the, like living in the dorms, like what it was like there. Um, really? I thought we had crappy dorms, crappy like food place. So like, and I wasn't playing well. I had like some injury stuff I was dealing with and mental stuff. So I wasn't playing well. And, but I was starting and I kept starting. And then, you know, guys would be like talking to me on the team, a freshman start, he's not playing well. Like, and then I was like in a, in a hole. So it was like all this kind of coming down on me at once and I was like this is not what I thought this was going to be like I wanted to come in here and help you know change the program I'll do all this stuff but this place is just too much like I yeah. can't do this alone um and then at sophomore year came back I was like I'll give it one more year I was like I know I'm not a quitter like I'm gonna I'm gonna give it another chance because this is like I committed here and if it if it doesn't work out again like I'm gonna transfer and then we had a six sophomore year like things turned around um in a lot of different ways so I was like this is like I love this place now and you kind of like become like a Rutgers kid you know yeah do you think that first year was tough just because everything was new to you you didn't really have a routine no I think it was tough because there was just a lot of change that needed to happen in the program to get get it going in the right direction and I think you know there's just like it would just comes with any company or organization or team is there's a culture on the team that you have and it it's lived every day and if you know if the culture is not a winning culture and you believe you're trying to do the things to win, it's going to be frustrating. Um, and I felt like that. And 
that was that was just hard for me mentally to deal with. And then my sophomore year, I had the upperclassmen on board. Well, my my good friend Scott Bito, he was my captain at the time. Like he was wanted the same thing as I wanted. So like when I could start to build a better relationship with him, and I wasn't a freshman, and I was playing at a high level now, it was like all right, we're in this together. Like we're we want to change this program and like do big things. Like you're a senior, you're a captain, you set the standard for the culture. I'm a young underclassman. I have the skills. I have the work to yeah exactly to do what you want to do, and I'll I'll do and set a standard for the younger guys. Um, so it was like a good, like yin yang relationship in that sense. And then I was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Like, and this is exactly what I wanted out of my college experience. That's cool. I love that. What, yeah. So getting on a Rutgers that fall, not really liking it. What was kind of like that aha moment practice or a game that it was like, wow, this is like college lacrosse. Like I got to step it up. This isn't high school ball anymore. Uh, I think the aha moment was for me, was our first game where we play our, it might've been our first or second game. We played Richmond. And I was just like getting demolished in the game. And it was just over and over and over again. And I was like, this never ends. I was like, this is crazy. Like I have no, you know, positives to pull from right now, like anywhere. And I was like, there's no, I didn't get that ground ball. I didn't score that shot. I dropped that pass. Like I was like, is this how it's going to be every game? Like what, like how much better do I need to get to like get this? So it's like, I'm on, I'm, I'm just floating at this point. Yeah. And at the time, the guy that was guarding me, this kid, Brendan Haynes, I think his name was, he was an All-American in Richmond, he's 6'4", like monster kid. He was like one of the best defense in the country, um, which I didn't know. I thought we were just playing Richmond, who were just like some new program. And yeah. a little, that was a lesson I had to learn was any anytime you step on the field at a Division One school, the other kid on the other side was the best player at his high school. And he's been working hard. He's got something to prove. And um, I was just some little freshman that thought I was at Rutgers and that I was going to be better than that kid at Richmond. And then that punched me right in the face. So that was like when I was like real. There we go. Most nervous you ever been before a college game? Um, let me think about that. I want to say uh, Big Ten semis uh, playing John Hopkins is like the first like real taste of a championship like on a big stage. I never played in the tournament of champions in New Jersey, which was like the big big stage. I played in the. Um, like the pre, like it's your non-public, it's like your group state championship. You win that, you go to a tournament of champions, which was like, I was like ball, like balling out and that stuff. And then I like felt like, like when the big stage was on, I was ready to rock and roll. But like, this was like big 10 championships at Homewood Field versus Johns Hopkins. Like this is the, uh, I think the third, second or third time we played them. I think it's the second time we played them. And um, what year was this for you? 2016, so my sophomore year. Sophomore year. And um, I was like, all right, like, it's showtime. Like, I was like, this is time to like cement ourselves, cement myself as like one of the best players um, in the country. And I was like, cement like Rutgers is like, we're the real deal if we win this game. Um, and like, I was kind of like perceiving it the wrong way a little bit, um, where I was a little bit more immature mentally. And I think it kind of, you know, got to my, got to my head a little bit, the nerves, as opposed to just being in the moment, calm, controlling what I can control um, and focusing on, you know, each play as its own. I was kind of letting the, the moment get to me a little bit. Okay. You know, when you got that call uh, from Paul Clark to uh, to be on through the X, how, how did that make you feel? I mean, um, being on that with Pat Spencer, Michael Sowers, you know, what type of moment was that for you? Um, okay, so I don't know. I don't remember exactly. I think it was a text I got oh, okay. um, from Tyler Steinhardt, I think, yeah. or, or, or Jordan. Um, they're both at TLN at the time. And um, – I they're like yeah we're doing this 3x series uh, yada 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 and it was originally supposed to be about Adam Sean Beatty's 
So Adam was my alignment. Oh. So we had me, Adam, and Kieran. So I think it was supposed to be about all of us. And we were gonna be like a nasty dynamic attack unit together. Like Kieran was coming in. He was um great uh player. He's like one of the all time greats at Rutgers. Um and I, I love playing with him. He's a quarterback type player. So he was really good. And then we had Adam, who was the Big Ten freshman of the year and like this Canadian lefty gunslinger. And then there was me who like, I usually am the one to fall through the cracks. So I think it was originally supposed to be more about Adam. Then Adam oh, towards okay. ACL. And then once he towards ACL, they're like, we're still doing this and we're going to do it on Jules and like focus on Jules. And I was like, all right, like I'll run with that. Um, even though it wasn't originally supposed to be about me, but I'll run with it. And I know like, I know how the season's going to pan out. Like whether Adam was going to play with me or not, I was like, I was going to be the ball carrier and the quarterback. And Adam's like, does his win play and would step up a little bit more as a ball carrier. But um, that was just based off us practicing and like you know, seeing what was going on and what my role would be. Um, so I was like, I don't know what they were thinking in their head, but I was like, I'll just explain and talk to them what's going on. And like, whatever happens, happens. And then they didn't play the through X, like air it until May. So they filmed it in January and then aired it in May, having no idea. That's what I, I wonder. Out. Cause I remember it going out in May and, it was still being snow and stuff on the ground. I was like, this can't be right. So they didn't have any idea how I'd pan out, right? Say like I was a bust and I didn't play well that season and I was like not doing well, whatever you want to call it. And then they try to put this direct together. It's not going to get like the same publicity or press, right? It's not going to do yeah. well. But at the time when they released it, I was leading, I like, I led the big 10 in scoring. So like in points. So it was like, all right, we just filmed this in January and then he just did this. And now it's like, he's going into May in the, in the big 10 playoffs. And like he's like it's him and Connor Kelly are like the runner, like the front runners for player of the year in the conference. So it was like it kind of worked out like, like that. Yeah. Okay. Is your is your favorite is your uh favorite player still Lonzo Ball? Um no, my my favorite player is Kyrie Irving. Um okay. or Dame Dame Lillard's up there now actually too. But Lonzo really? I just love Lonzo because I felt like his personality was like very in line with mine. He's just kinda like low key, um, but he just like got the job done. And I felt like um, like his style is kind of like more to get everyone involved and like do the right things as opposed to, you know, making everything happen himself. And I felt like that was like my style as well. And um, I thought that I think now he's playing on Pelicans with a guy like Zion where he doesn't have to be the man. He's like his game where he doesn't have to be like scoring 20. He's not a guy that's going to score 20 a game to win the game, but it'll give you like 12 to 15 and then get like 14 assists and have like seven rebounds. So it's like a different style of being good, but I I think he needed another guy to like help him kind of execute that. And I think him and um, Zion are gonna be able to turn some heads for the next couple of years doing that. Okay. You're are you a huge NBA guy? Uh not huge, huge, but I, I do like the NBA. Um basketball, like I could say was my favorite sport growing up. I was a I grew up as a New Jersey Nets fan and then I'd go my grandfather had uh tickets to us for like every game during the season, so we'd always go. And then um they fizzled out they got sold to Brooklyn and I was heartbroken and then I've started to kind of become more of a Brooklyn fan recently but it's, it's not okay. the same um but it's definitely the team I support more than any other team you watch more NBA or college I think I think it's a split of both I think depending okay. on who's playing college um but definitely NBA when certain guys are on um and when I'm back home in New Jersey especially with my brother he's, he's a loves watching sports so we always watch together okay and that tattoo on your forearm, number 56, what does that mean? Uh, so that's my cousin um, on my dad's side. He passed away a couple of years ago now. I think it's four years ago um, in a car accident. And he was kind of like the 
when we were younger, he played Division One football at Boston College, and his dad played in the NFL. His older brother played in Maryland. Um, all great athletes. So, like, when we were younger, I was, like, you know, fifth, sixth grade, um, like, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. We'd go to their house in um, kind of New York border, Massachusetts, and it had this huge farm. And we'd go, and we'd, like, run around the farm. Their, our, our uncle, um, he's, like, my dad's first cousin. So, like, my kind of, uh, I don't know exactly what you call but he was basically my uncle is what we called him. Um, he'd like wake us up in the morning, like 4 a.m., bring us down the road. We'd run the hill, bring us back up. He'd feed us. Then we go outside for more workouts. Then we come inside, eat again. Then we do chores. And then we have like playtime. And like we do that, <laughs> we'd call it, like Camp Brian. And while we were doing that, it was like he was doing that for his sons. And then we were like looking up to them, like, oh, these are like the, like, the athletes and family. Like, this is like who we want to be. Like, I want to play college. I want to play college across. I want to play in the NBA. Like, these guys are doing it. Um, so it's kind of like we we always like idolized, um, and so that he wore fifty six at Boston College. So that's the way we all got the tattoo on us. Okay, okay. So when I when I say the name Keith Cromwell, what does that mean to you? Rutgers goat. Really? You know how? Yeah. I mean, go stepping onto Rutgers was that kind of the ultimate goal to kind of be leading all time points at Rutgers? Um, I think for me it was. It, they kind of coincide. Like I felt like if I was going to be the player I wanted to be, that would be a byproduct of, you know, doing that. And if I wanted to, Rutgers wanted to go to the level I believe we could do, we could get to. Um, and I knew that I would have to be like leading that charge in the offensive side. Like that would be inevitable. That would, I would be able to achieve that. Um, I think I didn't have as productive as a, a freshman and junior year as I could have had um, for, a, for a number of reasons, but he, uh, he was, all-time points leading by like 60 points it's like 266 I'm at I think 207 and um he recruited me so it was like oh, I was like did? my offensive coordinator yeah so he recruited me and I was like Keith Cromwell like he's the best player to ever play at Rutgers um like a legend he's recruiting me like he believes in me as a player I'm like maybe I can do something here and like go to Rutgers and make something happen and then he ended up um kind of kind of drifting out of there and not he wasn't there when I was a player um, so I got there and I was like, well, I saw the record boards and he was on there and everything. So I was like, I'm going to do this. Got to, I got to take that record out. So, yeah. You know, when was, so like first when you stepped on, that was kind of the goal. It wasn't like just sophomore year, like, oh, I'm going to go after this record. It was never like, I'm going to go after this record. It was like, all right, if I, if we're going to be good, I need to be good. If I'm going to be good, I want, like, I want to be like the best player I can be, which is like, I knew one of the best players in the country. So, like, yeah. if I was going to be the best player in the country, it meant that I had to put up X number of points a game. And, like, if I wasn't doing that, then we weren't going to win games. So, it was, like, if I put up X number of points a game, you know, minimum – I had to put up minimum four points a game for us to have, you know, a, a good chance to win. If I was getting under that, that meant, like, I was getting locked off by my matchup. Other guys weren't being opened up as much. Someone else had to step up that wasn't ready to step up potentially. There's a lot of factors that went into it. So, I was like, I got to give these minimum to these guys every time I'm on the field and play to my – you know, upper 95th percentile. If I get to 100%, I can drop, you know, 10, 12 points in the game. If I fall a little bit below, and I was six, seven, eight. If I, you know, it's not a great day for me, like three, four, five. So that was kind of just like how I, how I framed it. And then over the 14, 15 game season, if you're, you're averaging those points, you're, it's going to add up, you know? You're hitting it. Yeah. Yeah. So graduating from Rutgers, having a great career, unbelievable career, getting drafted seventh by the Florida launch. Do you think you were, honestly ready for professional lacrosse uh yeah I, so when I was a senior like I figured everything out like what I 
how to um, prepare my body um, in every way possible. So like sleep, nutrition, hydration. Um, I was a film rat. I knew how to get better at the things I wasn't good at. I knew how to fine tune my strengths. I knew how to play to my my potential every time I stepped in the field. Um, and I knew I was more athletic than everyone, majority of people I was going up against. So I knew that when I got to the pros, it was going to be a little bit of a feeling out process, but I had been playing in the summer times, like, and seeing pro players. So like, I, and I knew guys that were playing and like how I matched up physically versus them. So I was like, when I get there, like I have a baseline of like what I can achieve. And now it's going to be like, how good of a pro player can I be? So when I got there, i had actually, my coach didn't notice at the time, like messed up my, my right hand um the stories for another day but I, like, <laughs> I couldn't close my hand like I it was broken I was icing it every single day and I was like I can't tell them that I just like broke my hand um so I was icing it every single day like the entire day for two or three weeks straight and it wasn't getting any better and then they're like all right first game in Florida because we weren't playing in the NCAA playoffs and they're like called me and they're like hey like fly down playing this game can't even throw righty like I'm screwed so I started off playing with like at midfield for short sticks basically um run out of the box but I was luckily I can go lefty so I just like kind of catered to my left hand but every yeah. time I like go to throw righty I was just like oh like I can't even do this <laughs> um so it was uh it was an adjustment with that and then once I uh, my hand got better and I uh kept I was in you know over time playing and practice I eventually got a, a look at attack and then I started to uh kind of find my role with the attack and I was starting and, and um I thought I was kind of like the glue guy with the attack finally had Kieran McArdle and Bill Malloy were both phenomenally talented players. And I felt like every attack line I've ever been on, there was always a lot of talent, but I was like kind of the guy that would piece the talent together. And like, cause I can, you know, kind of float all over the field, whatever they needed or needed help with, whether that was like them throwing at me at X to my right hand or, you know, them throwing across the crease to my left, whatever it was, um, I can be that guy for them. Um, when they were tired, I could dodge, you know, when they, whatever it was. So um, once I started to get in a group with that, it was, I, I knew that I could, you know, make an impact at the pro level um, at a pretty high level. Yeah. Did the MLL feel like what you thought like professional lacrosse was like, did it feel professionally? I think it was, it was weird because I think it, it's different for the MLL was different for different organizations. For me in Florida, I didn't feel like it was supposed to feel the way that I thought it was going to be. But I think that was just because I was in Florida. Um, I yeah. think you know, I talked to guys that were in Denver and they're having a great experience. And, you know, my, my roommate Garrett Apple. Um, he was playing in, in Chesapeake and he, you know, he was having a good experience and I was in Florida and I thought that the way that we were doing things as a team, you know, operating, like I, I remember distinctly, we played one game versus Charlotte and we won. And then we ended up playing uh, the next game versus Denver. And I could sense in the locker room that we were like feeling is like, if we were just going to run over Denver, who I knew was a good organization and like good, or good organizations don't just like lose back-to-back games like by a lot like there's they'll check themselves and like recuperate and come back strong and so I was like they're not just gonna let us walk all over them because they like lost last week and we're not that good but I was like every time I step on the field I have a certain level like I said threshold that I'm trying to play at and I know how to get to that mentally and it's just a matter of preparing myself physically to be able to be in that that realm um that I'm always that consistently able to get to so that game like I had seven points um versus Denver and then we lost 21 to like eight really and it was like or 21 nine yeah and it was like I was like dude what is going on I was like we're playing another pro team like I know these guys are really good like why do we think that we could just like walk out here and, and like this will be a cupcake and yeah. then I was like all right and I, I I was like this is not like what I thought it'd be I thought it'd be every team like 
going out there to battle, like is going to be playing, you know, the highest level they can play every time. But it's, it's the same. It's, it's guys that are in college and they get the pro and the priority has changed, right? It doesn't, you know, especially for lacrosse where it's not a full-time sport yet yeah. as we, as we'd like it to be as like the NBA. So it's hard to, you know, get up for every week if you're not at a certain level mentally and, and, and handling things off the field to allow you to do that. <clears throat> yeah. So then you get drafted 38 to the San Diego Seals. You know, I know growing up, you never really played indoor. Was that, a, was that a big change from playing field your whole life than to playing in the NLL? <clears throat> yeah, it's a huge adjustment for me. I think, you know, I haven't been able to really find my, my place in the NLL yet. I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. It's a lot of, excuse me, a lot of NLL is different than and MLL in the sense that they're really grooming guys in the NLL. There's so many Canadian players that are coming out of major um, series of lacrosse and, and juniors. And it's not like the MLL where you come out of college, they just throw you in the fire. It's, you know, there's guys that come into the NLL and don't play for two or three or four years. And then we'll crack a roster and, and our coach shooter, um, Josh Sanderson, you know, he didn't, he was on the practice roster the first two or three years of his career and then goes on to be one of the greatest of all time. So it's not like it's different. So I kind of understood that and swallowed that pill. And for me, it's, it's been a great experience to, you know, learn from so many different players and get to experience the game in a different way. That's allowed me to um, kind of continue to grow and take different attributes from other players and continue to refine my game in ways that I didn't even know that I, I could have been refining my game. And, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, the biggest thing for indoor is, you know, snapping your wrist when you shoot the ball. It's something I was doing, but I wasn't consciously doing all the time. And once I realized that you couldn't score without snapping your wrist in the box, I was like, wow, like now let's see what happens when I'm doing that on field. And all of a sudden I'm like, every time I shoot the ball, like, it's pretty much going in the net, like from my range because I yeah. know how to like, just get it, past, like snap it past the goalie, like quick release. Um, so just little things like that have been, have been great for me to kind of kind of grow. <clears throat> okay. Then Paul starts the PLL and you get placed on the whip snakes, all the big, with all the other big 10 guys. You know, were you excited or, or kind of pissed off uh, being teammates <clears throat> with the rest of the big 10 guys you've been competing against for the past four years in college? No, I was really excited because I felt like they were, you know, there was the only team in college that I never beat. And it was Maryland. <clears throat> and it was one of those things where we were so close so many times. It was triple overtime my junior year, uh, which is crazy. Um, and we were, we were so close. And the, the reason I felt like we weren't over the hump was because they just had more talent all across the board. And they were doing everything that we were doing, but with more guys that were talented doing it. So they're the sacrificing, yeah, they have the depth. They're sacrificing, making sure that they're showing up on game day, ready to play at the highest level. They're working hard. Like, they are they compete really hard on the field when they play. As you know, it's never going to be a cakewalk with them on the defensive side. On the offensive side, they're going to, like, run you into the ground and have guys attacking you all the time. So I was like, this is what I would – I would love to have been a part of that, right, because it would have been – it was the – everything I felt like I should have been – we were doing at Rutgers and, and needed to do to win games but also they had more talent. So like now I was like, I have this, I have the talent and I'm getting placed in with these guys. It's an opportunity for them, me to show and prove myself that, you know, I was doing those things at Rutgers and now that I can, I can do it at the pro level with you guys all from Maryland. And, you know, it was, it was great for me to build those relationships with those guys. A lot of them I'm still friends with now, even though I was traded. And it was great to kind of be on the inside of, of what, you know, was that 2017 national championship and NCAAs and, 
you know, them making all those final four runs, the national championship runs, all those guys were on that team. Yeah. So it was, it was great to be like included in that and see what it took for them. And I could learn from that as a player to become a better leader, a better player, better person. And then, you know, obviously I was traded. Um, it, I think it was just, you know, too good to be true. I was only team I never beat. I'm getting stuck in there. I, I felt like I was the kind of, you know, if I had a couple more guys, I would have been able to beat them um, in terms of playing at Rutgers. And then I'm, I'm on their team. So it's like, it was like too good to be too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. So then you get traded to the Redwoods. Kind of, kind of take us through that moment. Yeah. So I got a call on Monday after we beat, I think the archers in overtime, I threw the game winning assist and I had another goal. Didn't play bad. And if you get a call from your coach, usually like that off the rip, it's to either, you know, you're going to get sat or you're going to get traded. So I knew I wasn't getting sat and I was like, all right, I'm getting traded. And I figured it would eventually happen because the way I played well at training camp and, you know, the, uh, I wasn't playing great in our first couple of games. I was still number two or three on the team in points, but we just had so many guys that they were trying to filter through the lineup that it was just like, someone's got to go. So it's yeah. going to be either me or, me or Ben Reeves was going to go because another team could utilize one of us um, in, a, in a bigger role. And, for me, I was never about, you know, trying to be on a team where my role was bigger. I've always felt like my skills and what I brought to the table would shine through my role. So I knew that if I was going to be playing with Rambo, that it was going to take some time, but that Rambo would figure out what I brought to the table. And then I knew what he brought to the table. And then we worked in tandem and I'd be able to be productive. He'd be able to be productive. Obviously, someone's always going to be the main guy. But like, as long as I'm doing my job, and I'm playing my style and, and giving up the ball when I'm supposed to and scoring when I'm supposed to, I felt like I, it doesn't matter what team I'm on. Yeah. Um, so I thought that that would develop. And then um, it didn't because, you know, coaches saw things differently. And, and obviously it just got traded. And it was a great opportunity for me to have the ball more in my stick on the Redwoods and try to be more of a, a leader on the offense there. And, and things worked out pretty well for me. Yeah. So, so full, then full circle, you guys end up playing them in the championship. You know, how bad did you, you kind of want to beat them for kind of that revenge? You know, I think at that point we had played them. That'll be a third time playing them. Yeah. So we beat them, then they smacked us, and then it was championship game. It was less about revenge at that point for me and more about this is the first championship game I've played in since my Big Ten championship in 2016. This is really like the, the biggest stage I've ever been on in the sport. I didn't play in a national championship. I was like, what it would mean to me to kind of, you know, win this would just be a culmination of everything I've been working towards my entire life. And so I looked at it more like just an opportunity as, and less about the, the opponent on the other side. Okay. Favorite moment from your first season in the PLL? I think when I was traded, I, the first game, you know, it was, for me, I had always kind of been able to visualize things and see them before they happen just because I, I'm good at recognizing small victories and, and seeing what it's taking to like take the next step. So I knew I had the skills and the talent to be producing more. And I knew what it would take for me to, to do that a little bit physically. I, I was dealing with some stuff traveling and going from the West coast to East coast with my legs and how I felt. So that was like new to me. And then I said, once I get this under control and my legs are there and feeling the right way, I was like, I know I'm going to be able to, to do this and, and play at the level I want to play at. So I, that week I flew in early to Baltimore and stay with Ryan Jenner, not knowing oh, okay. I was getting traded. So he set that up because coach talked to me about, Hey, like, I know this is hard on your legs to travel, like flying earlier, you know, it might be good for you. 
So I flew in earlier that week and then I was obviously traded and I was like, wow, my legs are feeling like how they should feel, how I know I'm conditioned, um, everything. And I have the skill and I have the ball more now. And I was like, all right, well, it's just time to go out there and, and do what I do. And lo and behold, you know, I set the points record in that game and, and we won. And it was, you know, they were on a three game losing streak. Um, I think it was or something like that. Or no, not three game losing streak there. Um, one or two games out of first place because of, you know, they lost a couple one goal games. And so for me to come in and do that and set that level of play that I, I could I could reach in that first game and get a win at Homewood, and after I was just traded, it was just kind of like a special moment um, for me just because it was like a lot of eyes on me almost, and I, I, yeah. I delivered. Um, and I think it was people recognizing that I was good and like giving me the credit I deserve more, but like it was more so like I, I was just doing my job and I knew what I could bring to the table. And it was nice to just feel um, appreciated by, you know, my teammates that they that they knew what, I, what kind of skills that I had and what I, what what kind of teammate I was, um, and we got the win. So it was just all it's a really nice day overall. That's awesome. So last yeah. but not least, a little segment on the channel called Quick Talk. I'm just gonna basically say tell you a word or a sentence or a phrase and just kind of give me a, a fast response. Are you ready? All right, give me give me a second. Starting off easy right. here. Let's go. So what comes to mind? When I say the word food. Pizza. Really? I thought you would pick Chipotle. PLL's cockiest player. Jake Bernhardt. Okay. If not <laughs> Rutgers, then? Navy. PLL in five years? Uh, where Major League Soccer was eight years ago. Okay. Love that. Love that. Biggest trash talker in the PLL? Dominique Alexander. Really? An Ohio State guy? Yeah. Okay. Katie DeFeo. Great friend has a lot of potential to do something great in the sport of lacrosse. Least favorite defender to be covered by? Bryce Young. Okay. Most swag in the league? Drew Snyder. Okay. Nicest guy in the league? Tom Schreiber. RJ Kaminsky? A boatload of energy. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, you're 24 now. Where do you see yourself in five years? I see myself as, you know, one of the best players, I think, in the game. I think I'm on that trajectory, and I think if I stay that, so that way I can do that. That's my goal. And the goal is to win championships and then building my stuff off the field, mission prime, becoming a better coach, becoming a better leader. I'm a better man. Sweet, sweet. Jules, I really appreciate you coming on here, talking, uh, being on the first ever Pelk Talk, honestly. Where can the fans find you at? Fans can find me uh, at Jules Henningberg on Instagram, at Jules Henningberg on Twitter, at Mission Prime. Follow Mission Prime as well. All right. There we go. All that go. stuff will be in the description below. Uh, this will be a, as a YouTube video and as a podcast on the podcast app, Spotify and SoundCloud. Way more to come, but Jules Henningberg, first ever guest on Pelk Talk. I really appreciate it. My man, thank you for having me. That was great.